welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, it's a Christmas miracle! <laughs> oh my god, that was what my voice sounded like <laughs> this Sunday, yeah. because holy hell, we beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. It is indeed a win Wednesday, even though we're technically recording this on Tuesday, but well, you'll actually listen to it on Wednesday more than likely. More this than likely. Time. So it's um, actually going to be a win Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, we haven't had a womp womp Wednesday in quite a while. As a like matter, a whole month, one what? whole month. <laughs> Christmas came early, and, and boy, man, a couple weeks ago we said that a rising tide lifts all boats, and boy, Jimmy Garoppolo is a fucking tsunami. Uh, so let's get right into it because <laughs> oh we've got a lot of things that we think. I mean, right off the top. This is the 49ers' fourth straight win. This one is basically the 2017 signature win, just simply due to the quality of the offensive opponent. To put things in context for this game, the Jaguars had not allowed a touchdown on their opponent's opening drive for 21 straight games. The 49ers hadn't scored on their opening drive like all year. And what do you know? Opening drive, you're like, okay, this is a pretty good omen. The Jags were allowing 14.9 points entering this game. The 49ers put up 37 offensive points. The Jaguars were allowing 168.9 passing yards per game. Garoppolo had 187 in the first half alone. The Jaguars were allowing a 65.2 passer rating coming into the game. Garoppolo ended with a 102.4. This, of course, was a pass defense that forced Roethlisberger into five INTs and held Andy Dalton to 136 passing yards and Jared Goff to 124. And finally, the Jags hadn't allowed a red zone touchdown since week 10, and the 49ers had four red zone touchdowns (laughs) on Sunday. What what planet is this right now? Like, uh, The planet where we're good and we have a competent quarterback. I don't know what that's like. I'm I'm unfamiliar with this world. (laughs) Uh, Still still trying to, like, look around, feel my way around. Uh, It... Like if if you came into this game expecting anything close to that happening, I mean the only is like you're a massive homer, basically. Like that was the only rationale that could lead you to the 49ers are gonna put up nearly 40 offensive points against the best defense in the NFL. Like they hadn't done anything or the Jaguars hadn't allowed anything close to this all year. No. To to anyone. And so there was nothing there to lead you to believe that like this was a realistic outcome. In this game, and it was it was just insane. The whole thing was just uh, one giant surprise after another. It really was. It was it was a, what a surprise wrapped in a problem, like draped in an enigma, or what? I, I don't know how that I goes. But it's it's yeah, it's it's basically all the, that the turducken of surprises is what we're saying. <laughs> so let's get to the things that we think about this game because overall, the first thing that jumped out about this game when we were watching the coaches tape was that there were two very different approaches to attacking basically the same defense. The 49ers and the Jacksonville Jaguars run effectively the same defense. It's going to be your single high defense. It's going to be a cover three. And they're really running the remnants of Gus Bradley's defense when he was the head coach at Jacksonville for a few years. And we know that Robert Sala is someone who learned that Seattle defensive scheme from Gus Bradley. He was a linebackers coach in Jacksonville for a couple of years. So overall, you're talking about uh, the defenses that are structurally going to play about the same. And yet, when you see Kyle Shanahan's attack on offense for the 49ers, it was very much going to attack, and it very much did attack, the Jacksonville underneath defenders. 
which makes a whole lot of sense, especially given the cornerback play that you have for Jacksonville. They have two of probably the top four corners in the NFL right now. Yeah, yeah, right in there. Yeah, they're, they're pretty. They're okay. I mean, you got Marshawn Lattimore, and I gave myself a little wiggle room just in case. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, there, there are some of the other staples, right? Patrick Peterson's been playing very well, but I mean, it, it's hard to find, especially as a pair, right? There's no better duo than than Ramsey and Bowie this season. Um, and overall, what you saw, what you saw Shanahan do was not try and take too many shots deep. But instead, what they did is the 49ers overloaded their underneath zones horizontally, especially knowing that the Jags play a lot of zone. And this got them into situations where they just couldn't cover a whole lot of space all at the same time. And Shanahan left it up to Jimmy Garoppolo to throw to the open guy. Right. During the preview last week, one of the things that we kind of started asking, right, was, okay, we have we have this good coverage unit with Jacksonville, but we also have this very good pass rush. And and. What is Shanahan kind of opt to do, right? Do we do we see a team that keeps a little bit more uh, in, in the way of like six, seven man protections in and really try to protect and give Grappolo time? Um, or do we see him try to send everybody out in the route, right? And just trust that Grappolo is going to be able to to find the right person to throw to and uh, and, and not leave them shorthanded, you know, when they're they're going into that coverage there. And that was the latter is what we saw them do, right? They they a lot of five man protection in this game, sending all five guys out into the route. And like you mentioned, it was really focused on kind of stressing those underneath defenders, whether it was um, with with horizontal stretches. Right. If you think back to scheme week stuff during the offseason, we talked about the different ways that the passing game can stretch a defense. One of them is, you know, across the width of the field. And that's a really good one against this kind of cover three style scheme. And so we saw a, a lot of that. And then when they did try to do more vertical stretch stuff, even that was kind of attempting to isolate one of those underneath defenders, right? One of the, the linebackers in the middle where, where you put kind of a guy in front of him and a guy behind him. Uh, and so it's that's, you know, a vertical stretch, but you're not looking to necessarily push the ball downfield when you're when you're doing those, you know, running those kind of pass concepts. So uh, it, it was a, an attack. They very much wanted to avoid the outside, avoid those corners. They only threw three passes total that traveled 10 yards or more and went outside the numbers. Three. And I think we saw two of them pretty early on. One right was uh, actually two of them. The, the very first two were just really good designs and had guys wide open running down there. One was the big play to juice uh, up the sideline. And then the other one was the the Garoppolo miss to Kendrick Bourne on the crossing route there. And so you had two wide open guys uh, is, is three of those attempts were the only times that they were even trying to throw the ball there. So uh, it was a very clear plan, you know, going into it. And it obviously was something that they kind of, had the patience to continue to run and, and be comfortable throwing that underneath stuff uh, play after play after play. Now, overall, especially early on, you had a lot of those zone run boot actions. We saw a lot more outside zone runs this game than we've seen in other games from the 49ers. And that was, I think, really because Kyle Shanahan was trying to set up those outside boots, especially early on. So you've got Kyle Shanahan working off of his complimentary set. You see him running that outside zone. You see him running those boots early. You see him trying to help Garoppolo make money where Garoppolo has made his money all year, which is in the middle of the field in the underneath routes. And yes, to a certain degree, Shanahan is saying, take what the defense is giving you underneath. But that's not always been a given in San Francisco. It's not always been a given. It's not a given for a lot of teams in the NFL to say, hey, we're going to have an open guy underneath. Find that guy and throw it to him for six, seven, eight, nine, ten yards. That's not always easy pickings. 
and Blake Bortles didn't wasn't able to do that against the Niners and Jimmy Garoppolo was indeed able to do that and that's how you saw you know the 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 49ers offense really matriculate down the field against the Jacksonville Jaguars right when you look at at the structure of this defense right that kind of base cover three really the the goal of what you're trying to accomplish with that defense is I want to take away all the deep stuff right so I want to prevent big plays this is something that Seattle has been so good at, you know, over the years and in, in eliminating those plays, both with Sherman, obviously, Rome in the middle, and then guys like Sherman on the outside to take away the deep stuff down the sideline. You take that stuff off the table. We talked about that in scheme month this offseason, where that's like the number one thing that Pete Carroll preaches to his defense is do not give up the big play. That's why we run this defense. So you have those guys over the top that are that are able to protect against those big plays. And that does leave, you know, that there are holes underneath, you know, it's not like there, there's no defense out there that's completely foolproof and that's going to be able to, to cover all areas of the field at once. So you do give up some stuff underneath, but the, what, what you run into and what you force teams to do by playing that style, and it can be frustrating at times, right? If you do see a team, um, you know, if you think about what the Patriots have been able to Dinking do and dunking, right? Yeah. It, you know, if you if you see them continually getting those short completions and getting some yards after the catch and and being willing to do that play after play to move down the field, that's very frustrating to watch if you're you know a fan of that team's defense or if you are that defense. Um, however, most teams aren't willing to do that, right? They they either lose patience or all it takes is you know not everybody has a Tom Brady or hell in our case a Jimmy Garoppolo, right? That can consistently make those accurate throws. And, and um, you know, keep the offense on schedule like that. All it takes is one incompletion, right? You have a, a dropped pass uh, or something like that that puts you behind the down and distance. And then now you can't afford to throw the short, you know, stuff. You're you're third and long and you have to try to push the ball downfield. And that's playing exactly uh, into what the defense is trying to get you to do. So it, it's a defense that forces you to play a little bit conservatively offensively. Uh, and, and it's just a game that not a lot of teams are willing to play, but the, but the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, played to perfection in this game. Only two of the five players that Garoppolo targeted more than three times were wide receivers. So Garoppolo was targeting basically everyone else multiple times. And San Francisco was just one of four targeting deep left and right passes. And that one completion was to f- the fullback and the primary coverage defender was puzzles, uh, Puzlesny, and that was because he misread that play because he got sucked up by the play action yeah. on an ISO play, and he thought that it was going to be an ISO. He thought it was going to come up and, and get Juice on that on that lead block, and Juice just peels out, and all of a sudden, you know, he's proven that he is indeed a Pro Bowler. No, he didn't, but he did catch <laughs> that ball, and, and it was and that's and that was the deep pass, right? There was a surprising lack of pressure, and, and especially coming into the game, you, you know, you've got the Saxonville Monk here. And I think a lot of that has to do with you know some improved play, uh, not improved play, but just Joe Staley deciding he's really fun and wants to play football and is going to go out there and get some stuff. Gives a lot more shits lately. Yeah, uh. recently. <laughs> um, and, and, and you know, I do think that there is certainly a Jimmy Garoppolo effect there, where he is able to get the ball out on schedule, and even if he is under pressure, uh, he, he's going to get the ball out to some reasonably you know kind of area where a receiver can make a play which is not something we typically see here and haven't seen for a little bit in San Francisco. But overall, the offensive line, I would say, held their own outside of Zane Beatles against a a team that played, that has been playing incredibly well. Definitely. I I think, you know, a a little bit of that is is certainly helped out by the short passes, right? Because you're not hanging on to the ball quite as long, even though you still saw Garoppolo, you know, there were plenty of times where 
Uh, you know, his first look, second look wasn't there. And, and he wants to try to hold on to the ball a little bit, you know, get outside the pocket, try to make something happen. Um, and, and so those are times, you know, where obviously your offensive line is forced to protect for a little bit longer. And I think they largely, you know, held up well in a lot of those situations. So but but I think it comes back to, you know, we see and, and we talk uh, for for a month now about, you know, the effect that Garoppolo has kind of on the rest of this offense and, and the way that you, it seems like guys are playing better. And I think a lot of that when you look at offensive line play, I think the the average person overrates offensive lines importance in pass protection and underrates it in in the run blocking right you see running backs get most of the credit there and and if you you have a really good running game you see the the running back get a lot of that credit where i think the run game is far more driven in most cases by what your offensive line can do whereas the quarterback has a lot to do with pass protection right it's not only um, his ability to get the ball out quickly and make good decisions and all those things and, and you know the quick release that we see, but it's also knowing how to maneuver in the pocket, right? Knowing when to slide up so that the outside pressure doesn't actually become pressure. Um, you know, it, it makes the job of the offensive lineman easier in pass protection when you have a quarterback who kind of knows what he's doing maneuvering the pocket. That's why you see, you know, it's it's not a coincidence that guys like Brady and Manning and Breeze and and um, you know players that have had this kind of long success, you know, uh, working within the pocket and, and being able to do those little things correctly are often some of the least pressured quarterbacks in the league, right? Um, because they they know how to maneuver around it to avoid that type of stuff. And so I think we're definitely seeing um, some of that with Garoppolo and it's helped make the offensive line look a little bit better, even though you still, you know, see them have their lapses from time to time for sure. But, uh, you know, it's hard to say, that, especially in this game against the front they were playing, it, it, it was very impressive. Clayus Campbell made Zane Beatles often look ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, he made many. Clayus Campbell is a monster, man. He yeah. made a lot of people look silly. And he made Joe Staley look silly in this game, which didn't happen a whole lot. Joe Especially Staley did a lot Staley of good things. Shit. Yeah, but it, he even got the better of him. I mean, Clayus Campbell's no joke. So let's get to Jimmy Goat Rapolo here for a minute. And that's right. I said Goat Rapolo. There's actually a goat emoji in our notes where the first couple letters of his name should be. So it's official. It's Goat Rapolo. But let's talk a little bit about the effect that he's been having and how he played in this game against the Jaguars because this was the matchup going into the game. We talked about the game plan and how Shanahan said, look, I'm, I'm going to stay away from the corners. I'm not going to try and throw into the teeth of the defense. I'm going to tackle. I'm going to attack these linebackers and spread out those intermediate zones and the short zones for the Jaguars. But you still have to have a quarterback who's able to take advantage of those passes. And that's what Jimmy Garoppolo did against the Jacksonville Jaguars. He was clearly the better quarterback on Sunday. Clearly. And it wasn't even close. So he had a couple of plays and and exhibited really a couple of traits that we've been tracking and we've identified over the course of the season. So we're not going to belabor the point. But we're just going to highlight what our favorite ones were. For me, my favorite play was the touchdown throw to Trent Taylor. Mostly because he had to step up in the pocket, slide to the left throw from a different arm angle and still get it around a defender and to Trent Taylor. And then Trent Taylor did, you know, what he's going to do with his lunch pail and caught the ball. And all of a sudden you have a touchdown. David, what was your favorite play? You can't take mine. I mean, that's not that's not fair. That's not fair. That's I mean, I think that was I think that was the best play for sure. For all the reasons you described. I I love seeing the plays, um, you know, a little bit out of structure where he does have to kind of move around a little bit and things break down because I think. That's a, certainly an area where, you know, quality quarterback play can really make a difference, right? The, the guys that can do stuff when when everything that the the design of the play is meant to do and, and the opportunity it's meant to create, when all that doesn't work out, 
the guys that can still find a way to make a positive play for your offense, uh, I, I think are very valuable commodities to have. So uh, that was, I think, the best one um, for sure. I, you know, I liked actually, so if I had to pick another one, I guess, and, and this is, it may seem like it wasn't as impressive, um, but it's actually the the juice throw. So the the deep throw down the sideline. And the reason is, is because he hasn't really hit a lot of those, right? That's, we haven't seen him have, have to throw deep. And even though this one wasn't into coverage or anything like that, it wasn't some like tight window throw. Um, I don't even think he was pressured on the play. So, you know, it, it's a throw you would expect him to hit. The problem is he's missed a lot of those, you know, uh, some of his rare misses so far through these first four games uh, have been even to open guys down the field. And so, the fact that he was able to kind of put that right on the money, hit him in stride, that was, you know, again, his only deep completion of this game. He's only completed three total in four four games so far. So uh, it's an area of his game that, you know, there, there's not many of them, but that's the one that kind of needs a little bit of work right now. So I'll, I'll go with that as the, the next best. All right, so I'll give you the first one. That way I can't double up. We'll, we'll even it out here. But what's your what was your favorite trait? And, and when we talk about traits, this is some of the stuff we talked about and we have talked about over the last couple of weeks. So we're not going to use like sweeping terms like arm talent, right? Yeah. Things like fast release or throwing from different platforms or his processing speed, his footwork, his arm strength. What was the trait that you felt he exhibited in this game that was your favorite, at least in this week? For this week, I would go with the the, the mental processing for sure. I think... Um, it was it would be easy, you know, in this defense to try to, you know, against this defense to try to feel like you got to force things, you know, you got to try to make bigger plays and, and get bigger chunks of yardage uh, to, to move the ball on them. But he stayed. Uh, you didn't really see. I mean, there were, I think, a couple of throws that, that you would air in questionable. But for the most part, very good decision making, you know, found the right place to go with the ball, did it quickly enough that, again, the pressure didn't really have time to affect him on a large number of throws. So I think all that you saw some, you know, a, a little bit of like moving zone defenders here and there to kind of create a little bit larger windows at times. So I think everything from the the mental processing standpoint, staying on schedule with what was, again, the game plan to attack this defense uh, was all very good in this one. For me, it was his fast release. And I think it's intrinsically tied with his quick mental processing because Garoppolo doesn't have the strongest arm in the whole wide world. No. People who have been watching Niner, fan, Niner games for, for a while now, they're they're used to seeing, you know, I, I would say the quarterback with the best arm that we've seen in recent memory is easily Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. And he was able to get balls into windows where he had no business completing the pass simply because he was able to beat the defender with his arm. Garoppolo doesn't have that kind of arm strength, but he's able to do very similar things where he defeats defenders with his throw because of how quick he can release the ball. There was a slant pass where he completed it, I think, to Kendrick Bourne, where I thought it was a guaranteed pick six. I was like, oh, dear God, that's a bad throw. <laughs> and you see the linebacker, the underneath linebacker break. And, and he for, I would say, eight out of 10 quarterbacks, that's probably a pick. But he's able to literally sneak it in there and get it to Bourne simply because he's able to release the ball with such quickness that from the moment he identifies where he's going to throw to the to the processing it takes to I'm going to do it to then his body reacting and throwing the ball out. I just think it's 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 some of the fastest release I've seen in, in a while. It's crazy. And, and it's yeah. kind of ridiculous. So I think that's that's probably the trait that that I enjoyed most in this game for Jimmy Garoppolo. But we we've we've pumped up the Jimmy hype train quite a bit over the last several weeks, and rightfully so. I mean, the dude is on pace to never lose a game in his career. <laughs> like that would be uh, a pretty amazing thing. 
to maintain that this might pace. I think you know I could be wrong here but I think that, like he might be the first one if he's able to pull it off that would be yeah. amazing that yeah. would be really really good now while we don't think that's going to happen there there are some things that maybe you, you kind of put a you, you put a pin in him and you say okay I'm going to look back at this because there are some signs here that maybe if we see this over the course of a year could result in in negative outcomes so throw some cold water on me what are what are the negatives that you saw here or maybe kind of negative by not seeing it that make you pause or make you think you know what i'm gonna come back to this because if this happens over the course of a year it may not be good to me it's you know i guess and just touched on it a minute ago it's it's really the deep throws or the 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 kind of high-end throws right the the big time throws that that you want to see i think from uh, from quarterbacks, uh, at least, you know, it's not something that happens a high percentage of the time by any stretch, but y- you want to see a couple times a game, right? Make a big throw down the field to create a big play for your offense. And again, we haven't seen that at all. He's completed three passes that have traveled 20 yards or more in the air um, so far as a starter right now and and hasn't attempted a lot of them, right? We We saw Earlier in the year, or I mean, for the bulk of the year, really, um, you know, through through the first, what, 10, 11 games it was, um, there were always at least one or two kind of shot plays down the field, right, designed. And it was Goodwin uh, doing this most of the time, but it was, hey, we're just going to send Goodwin on the deep post. We're going to throw it up and, you know, we're able to create some some big plays that way. Um, obviously that's not like a high percentage thing that you're counting on completing, you know, 70% of the time or something like that. But, uh, it is something that can have a very, you know, big positive impact for your offense. And right now it's, it's the, we haven't seen it. You know, we, we've seen uh, a a very small number of attempts. Most of those attempts haven't gone so well. You know, we've seen that that's really the one time that he's showed some inaccuracy. Um, so that's really the, the last kind of thing that I'm waiting to see that I want to see him, uh, show that he can bring to the table and we may not see it this year. Obviously, you know, we have one game left. No defense has been able to force them and take away the stuff underneath and in the intermediate area to make them have to to throw those type of passes. So it's been fine. It hasn't hindered them at all, but I think eventually you're going to come across a defense that has a better plan. That's able to kind of take away what you want to do in the middle of the field. And he's going to have to show that he can make those throws at some point. For me, it's these. If you're talking about the the lack of big time throws, for me, it's the the seeming recurrence of these turnover worthy throws. So the thing that worries me is the the throws. Even the throw that was intercepted in the end zone against the Jacksonville Jaguars, it was tipped. That that wasn't an, an actual interception that Jimmy Garoppolo threw. It was you know Zane Beatles couldn't protect the edge and the ball gets tipped coming out of his hand and it floats and ends up getting picked off. But even if that ball isn't picked off. He's got a sinking defender near the corner of the end zone, and he's got a safety coming over the top. He's throwing, I wouldn't even say it was a 50-50 ball. It's probably a 60-40 ball. Uh, (laughs) 60 against Garoppolo, throwing up to Kendrick Bourne, and it's just not a super safe throw. And and not that you want your quarterback to only throw safe throws, but you want them to take positive calculated risks. And if you're going to throw a 50-50 ball, you want to throw it up to like Calvin Johnson or a Gronkowski or something like that. I don't know that Kendrick Bourne's the guy you're going to want to go for the 50-50 ball for. <laughs> now, the, the other thing, you think of throws to Marquise Goodwin. Marquise Goodwin saved two interceptions last week. Yeah. And, and those are turnover-worthy throws. Over the course of a year, those turnover-worthy throws begin to stack up. And, and you want a healthy mix, but you don't want to have super-duper high amounts of, of turnover-worthy throws. Because then you turn into someone like a Jameis Winston. Right. Jameis Winston is someone who has 
those eye-popping, oh my God, I can't believe he made those throw kind of throws. But he's also got a high number of why would you fucking do that? That was terrible. <laughs> and and so that's, I think, the only thing that's kind of picking at the back of my mind is like you, you, you worry about that extended over the course of a year and yeah. what that could cost you in a game. And I think obviously the Tennessee game was the the biggest example of that. I mean, the two we you know we talked about him in that recap. The Marquise Goodwin saved interceptions essentially. I don't know that we've seen as many there. I mean, so at least by PFF classifications, right? We're at right now through uh, through four weeks, two big time throws, which are the highest graded ones, and then three turnover worthy throws. Two of them being the two in the uh, saved interceptions in the Tennessee game. And so I think the the interesting thing with him so far has been. It's a lot of uh, it's, it's a really, really high number of just good but not great throws. And then also the misses are kind of the same way, right? They're they're bad, but not that bad, right? We, and I think we saw in Bortles, you know, watching that game, watching the defense in this game was actually a really good reminder for me. Like, hey, let's get sucked out of good quarterback land that we've been in for the last you know month or so here talking about Garoppolo. And remember, the, like, hey. You know, there are a lot of quarterbacks in this league that make some really bad misses on on several throws in the, over the course of a game. Uh, and, and those ones, I think, at least we haven't seen. So we do see some that are riskier. I, I definitely agree there. Um, but I think it's it's littler misses, right? They're they're kind of more calculated misses, calculated risks, I think, a lot of times. But overall, that we're, we're nitpicking at this oh, point. Yeah, we're, we're, we're nit- and, and we're we're trying to find intentionally the negatives just to think mm-hmm. about what that's going to look like later, because overall, Garoppolo played a great game. And he's really turned this offense and this team around. Final thing we'll say about Garoppolo before we get to the other side of how teams are going to attack a cover three defense is the DVOA statistics that Garoppolo put up against the Jaguars. The, the San Francisco pass offense DVOA, which is you know football outsiders metric for defense adjusted value over average. It, it's a percentage score for how better you are than like the average NFL offense for the pass and against the pass. The San Francisco pass offense their DVOA on the season is just a little worse than average. It puts them at 17th in the league. After Garoppolo took over weeks 12 to 16, the 49ers pass offense DVOA is up to sixth. And in week 16 against the Jaguars, they had the single best passing offense based on DVOA for that single week. They ranked first at 78.7% above average. And this is against a Jacksonville pass defense who over the season is the best in the NFL. In weeks 12 through 16, we're top 10, ninth. And yet in week 16 against the fighting Jimmy Garoppolo's, their DVOA put them at 30th, which is ridiculous. Like, and that's all Jimmy G. Yeah. And I wish they would have, instead of using the full season and putting the Niners at, you know, showing the Niners at 17th there, they really should have looked at where it was at from, you know, weeks one through 11, because which was like in the 17th, it was like 22. Yeah. 17th includes all of the Jimmy Garoppolo stuff. Right. So that's already been elevated by his play. I mean, they were among the bottom, uh, definitely the bottom quarter, but I want to say among the bottom, like four or five in pass offense DVOA for basically the entire season before he got put in there. So he has raised them from one of the worst passing attacks in the league to, you know, an above average passing attack. And he's the only change. And a passing attack that can eviscerate 
the single best, best. passing defense. Right. And we talked about this and and I don't and I don't take back like a single thing that we said in the Jacksonville preview, right? This was one of, you know, going into this game, everything that they had done had basically led us to believe that like this is one of the best pass defenses of, you know, modern the modern era essentially. They were up there with like that Seattle team that went to the Super Bowl, the Denver team that went to the Super Bowl, um, you know, some of the the really good recent ones that we've had like they were playing on that level, and and obviously they, uh, you know, came out in this one and gave up stuff that they we just haven't seen from them this year. Now, of course, it wasn't mo- it, what happened on offense for the Jaguars was the problem because it was how their offense attacked a cover three scheme that was not in line with how Kyle Shanahan did it. Kyle Shanahan is a better offensive coach than Doug Marone and his offensive staff is the blunt way of saying what it is that we're trying to say. Yep. Because Jacksonville Jaguars simply couldn't take their own advice and attack the 49ers scheme. The, of course, the bulletin board quote after the game was from Telvin Smith. And Telvin Smith said, he, he said, quote, the scheme beat us. Obviously, their coordinator was in Atlanta, so we know they know our scheme. That's what you saw today. Scheme beat us. Okay, cool. Telvin Smith will grant that. The scheme beat your defense. The players didn't. But guess what? The Niners run the same damn scheme. <laughs> so why couldn't your offense drop the same exact plays to beat the Niners defense? A Niners defense that had worse players than you. And, and, and still, you get paid as a defense. So are you telling me that it's just the scheme? Like there's nothing the players do that elevate or don't elevate that scheme. It's absurd. And but- what we saw from Jacksonville was really unimaginative offensive play calling. Literally Madden-style offensive play calling. And a quarterback that simply couldn't execute. So when you get to Jacksonville's kind of application of game plan, you see a team that didn't have as good of a game plan and also didn't have the personnel to take advantage. If that quote doesn't tell you about like the quality of some of the offensive staffs around the league, like I don't know what does. The, the fact that they're basically coming out and saying... They ran all the plays that beat our defense. Like that's a thing that doesn't normally happen. Uh, is is just like, well, yeah. Like, what other plays should they be running? Like, what? I don't. It's just it's it, uh, it, it's so mind boggling. Um, but yeah, we saw. So again, you you would think that they would have been able to come uh, with a, a similar sort of plan, right? They know the weaknesses of that defense. They run the same thing. Um, it, it should have been something that they were fairly comfortable attacking you know as an offense and, and and should have been able to come with a pretty good plan in that regard and we just didn't see the same stuff you know we saw instead of a lot of short underneath throws um it was a lot of vertical stuff right they really tried to you know one of their favorite plays they probably ran it at least a dozen times in this game uh was a play where they went to you know had a trips to one side of it they had another receiver sometimes it was a tight end sometimes it was just a receiver that was close to the formation uh on the opposite side and they basically would send the the trip side all on vertical routes, and then they would send that guy that the tight end or the the receiver that was close to the formation on just a, a shallow crossing route, and that was what they were looking to do. It was basically we want to try to throw in that seam area and and you know try to uh, put the the free safety in conflict and really push the ball downfield. Uh, and then the problem was they just weren't able to make those throws consistently. You know, you saw. Again, a quarterback that even though there may have been some opportunities there, and there definitely were, they were able to get some guys open, you know, down the seam um, on kind of some of the deep in-breaking routes there that can give this problem, this defense problems at times. Um, They had some opportunities, but yet a quarterback then that, again, just can't take advantage when you're pushing the ball downfield. 
you know, even for quarterbacks that are a little bit better than Bortles, those are tougher throws, right? There's a reason that the further you throw downfield, the lower your completion percentage is. And so they they were really putting all of their eggs in that we're going to trust Blake Bortles to throw downfield into these, uh, you know, these windows that are a little bit tougher to hit uh, as opposed to throwing underneath. And it just didn't work out. I mean, he obviously made a ton of a uh, ton of terrible throws throughout this game. Turnover worthy throws, I think, were the order of the day for Blake Bortles. <laughs> the, this was the team that very much felt like they bought into their own hype. They bought into the Bortles hype and Bortles, you know, they're like, you know what? He's got one of the greatest quarterback ratings over the f- last four weeks. And these last four weeks, of course, are a great predictor of what's going to happen in the future. They they ran a play that this four vertical play that you described earlier, it's a play that we recognized because of Madden. Literally, I used to run that play. I I called this play out when we were watching film, and I was like, hey, I ran that play with Vernon Davis, like lined up in the slot. You get the deep crossing route. Yeah, you've got the 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 over the the seam. Yeah, you've got the over the seam and then the go route. And then you've got that little underneath drag or kind of, you know, the, the route that goes across the formation the other way. I, I stopped counting after I saw that play six or seven times. You kind of ballparked it at about 12 to 15 yeah. over the course of the game. They ran, what, like 60-some-odd plays? Yeah, there were a lot of plays. And they uh, they had, again, they had chances on this a lot of times. Yeah. There, there were a number of those plays that they and, had open receivers. And so, I mean, that, that's, that's about 15% of your offense is one play where you're yeah. running that play <laughs> over and over and over again. I mean, it literally is Madden where you're like, I know like six plays. And this is one of them. And I'm going to call this play. The other five happened to be runs to Leonard Fournette, which didn't go so well for the Jaguars in this game. So it was overall, it was unimaginative offensive play calling by the Jaguars. They did not call the plays that beat the defense that they know the best, which is kind of hilarious. And even when they did have those things, that play that they ran over and over and over again, that that four verts play, they had uh, Colbert's near interception was on that play. Kawan Williams' actual interception was on that play. And really the only time that play started to generate dividends because the Niners were ready for it nearly every time early in the game was when they was when the Niners started to play a little bit looser coverage when the score was 37 to 16 or whatever it was. Um, so overall, the Niners knew what the Jags were going to do. They were able, they were able to bottle up their number one thing which was the run game. And then when Blake Bortles had to put it up in the air, they made him pay for being Blake Bortles. Yeah, and that's what you have to do as a defense, you know, in this defense especially, right? If they are going to be willing to throw downfield and they make some errant and throws, you have to be able to make them pay. And, and obviously getting three interceptions, it would have been nice. You know, there was at least one other one in there uh, with the, the Colbert drop. You know, we'll give him a little bit of a break because he's still got the cast on his hand. Um, you know, that, that... Give him a break. I see what you did there. <laughs> that you would, you would like to have in there. But, you know, that's exactly what you need to do. You know, you want to force defense or force these offenses to play conservatively. And if they feel like they need to take risks, you got to punish them. You got to be able to make plays in the secondary there. Uh, and, you know, even though he got beat, Dante Johnson was still out there doing, you know, Dante Johnson things at times. Um, but we saw Akella Witherspoon have a very good game. Um, you know, uh, again, Colbert was in, you know, I think largely had a pretty good game. There was a few plays maybe he'd like back, but they played very well on the back end, at least enough to take advantage of errant throws when they were presented with them. If you would have told me that there would be one defensive backfield to generate three interceptions this game, I would have told you it was the Jaguars. Yeah. Absolutely. And and instead, you, you know, we had the exact opposite way the Niners generate those three picks. And so that was fantastic. 
We've got one more thing to cover before we get to our spotlight player, and we'll do it quickly because we've we've waxed philosophical here about Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> for for a bit. We're we're just really excited, is all. It's really fun. It's it's it is a lot of fun. It's <laughs> so much more fun. This entire season is, ba- I mean, weeks one through eleven or one through twelve or whatever it was. It yeah. feels like a separate season. Absolutely, it really does. But the the other thing that we think because that was really an extended one thing we think, which is the Niners had a really really good game plan. And they had the quarterback to execute it. Jaguars didn't have a great game plan. And they didn't have the players to execute that game plan. (laughs) But the other thing that we think is that we would really like to see Robert Sala stay aggressive at the end of games when the score has a wide delta. After the Niners went up 37 to 19, the corners really started playing off. The linebackers depth changed. And we saw a lot more Leon Hall. We saw a lot more split safety looks. And all of a sudden, the Jacksonville Jaguars start generating a lot of offense. They rattled off, I think, 20 straight offensive plays because they had the drive and then the outside kick and then they had another drive. And the reason they were able to get to most of that offensive production was simply because Solid changed up how he was playing against those Jaguars. Now, intermingled in those drives, you had plays where the 49ers actually played well. They forced them into a couple of third downs. And that was mostly because they switched back to their single high safety, safety's playing up on the line of scrimmage, and and then they would stop them, and then they're like, oh, look, it's third and long. Let's split our safeties. And all of a sudden, you have Blake Bortles, who's like, oh, hey, look, this is a defense I can play against. And, and you had them get down the field, and it wasn't nearly as effective on defense. I think it's just, it's probably a universally frustrating thing for fans when you see them do something that makes them successful, right? That, that they they appear to be much better at. And then all of a sudden, you just go away from that for really no reason. You know, it, it just was was going away from what they do best. And that really is, you know, having the cornerbacks be a little bit more physical and aggressive at the line of scrimmage, uh, letting your linebackers play at normal depth. You know, it's it's one thing that uh, already kind of by design, you're giving up a little bit on the underneath stuff, right? You're going to give up some check downs to the backs and, and some short routes to the tight ends here and there. Let's but, do more of that. But if your backs are, or if your linebackers, excuse me, are at kind of normal depth and are taking their normal drops in that zone, they do what we've seen Reuben Foster do a whole bunch of, which is I can come up, I see that throw made in front of me, I can come up and make a play, make a tackle right after the catch is made. Well, all of a sudden, you know, in, in like the, the 20 play stretch that you mentioned there uh, that they had at the end of the game, you're playing everybody back. Your linebackers are suddenly at seven, eight yards deep and taking really deep drops and the secondaries way back. And now you can take those little check downs and those those plays that are just a few yards beyond the line of scrimmage. And now as a back, I catch that pass. And rather than seeing Reuben Foster when I turn around, I, three I yards see a lot of, of space. Yep. Yeah. And I can kind of, uh, you know, I have time to make something happen and I can, you know, create some yards after the catch. And that was what we saw them do a lot on the um, on those last, you know, through the last bit of the fourth quarter there um, was take advantage of a lot of that stuff. And then they did just enough you know, throwing down the field and again, some large voids in the zone. You had Bortles make, um, you know, a, a couple throws mixed in there. And that was enough to get some prolonged drives to get some points on the board and make things more interesting than it needed to be at the end of the game. I think defensively, it's it's one thing to do that on the final drive. You're up two scores. There's less than two minutes to go. Sure. Back everybody even, up. It even doesn't if you matter. give up a score, no yeah. big deal. This was with they started doing this with like six minutes to go, and yeah. it was a two score game. That's a that's still a, a competitive game, right? That's still a very winnable thing. There's a scenario that's realistic that can play out that the Jacksonville, uh, you know, come back and win that game, and it nearly happened, right? They made it interesting. 
Um, and so I think that's just something that we've seen him do a few times during the season, you know, get a little bit too passive, too conservative uh, defensively. And, and I think you're already kind of working at a deficit from a talent standpoint, a few positions, especially in the secondary, like don't make things more difficult on them. Let them do what they do best. Now, there were a lot of positive performances on offense and defense to pick from, but ultimately the spotlight player that we're going to go with this week is going to be one of our preseason draft crushes, a player that has yet to be the spotlight player this week, a player that was rated the second overall running back this week based on Pro Football Focus's charting, and that is, of course, one Mr. Matt Breida with the obligatory choo-choo. <laughs> Dude, uh, we've been waiting. I mean, we've had little bits, right? We had, uh, you know, the touchdown run finally, like finally getting the end zone against the Giants a few weeks back. Uh, got a receiving touchdown mixed in there. But I think this was the the best game that he's had this season. You know, he was whenever we would go, there was a, there was a lot of plays was we're going through those that, that run offense tape. And it's a lot of one yard gains and two yard gains and three yard gains. And whenever we would kind of see something a little bit more positive happen, Matt Breida was typically the guy that would that, that had the ball in his hands on those plays. And obviously getting the, you know, kind of the walk off 30 yard touchdown there to close things out was was the, one of the big plays in the game. And so I think it was just great to kind of see him do well, have a bit a, a bit of a bigger game. You know, you mentioned the the grade was outstanding, was his best one of the season. Um, he's grading, you know, higher than Carlos Hyde is over the course of the entire year. Um, you know, led the team in rushing in this game. So I think it was just a big week for him and for a running game that hasn't had, you know, a ton of positive moments during the stretch and all the great things that have happened offensively with Garoppolo there. Not many of them have been run game related, you know, that they're still kind of struggling to get the job done consistently there. Um, But Brita was somebody that, you know, was able to get the most positive plays that we've really seen from this rushing attack in a while. Uh, if Brita had enough attempts to qualify, he has 93 attempts. He needs 100 to qualify for Pro Football Focus. He'd rank in the following places for DR and DVOA. He'd rank 19th in DR, which is Defensive Adjusted Yards Above Replacement. Think of that as a way to measure how good a running back is overall over the course of the year. How many more yards and their replacement they'd get. Matt Brita is currently 19th. Uh, if he had enough to qualify, he'd be 19th. Uh, Carlos Hyde is at 31st. For DVOA, which think of that as like a per-play efficiency metric. It's like how good you are, how efficient you are running the ball per play. Matt Breida would be 12th in DVOA for running backs. Carlos Hyde is 30th. That, that 12th ranking in DVOA would put him ahead of Leonard Fournette, Devonta Freeman, and Joe Mixon. And his 19th ranking in DR would be ahead of Frank Gore, Jay Ajayi, Mike Gillisley, and Tevin Coleman. And if you're more of a fan of more traditional stats, if you just look at his yards per carry, Matt Breida has a 4.2 yard per carry on the year. Carlos Hyde, 3.8. So this isn't just one game where Matt Breida has been performing well. This has just been the game where he performed the most well. He's been performing really well over the course of this year. Yeah, he hasn't gotten a ton of opportunities, but he's, you know, generally made them account. He's he's been a much more efficient player. You know, you, you look at it's, I think, useful to compare things you know when you're you're looking at running backs on the same team right there have the same offensive line blocking for them the same guy calling plays um and it's not you know there was a stat that we tweeted out a little bit ago a couple weeks back that fooch put in an article it was about kind of yards before contact yards after contact on some of the zone runs they've been doing that obviously they prefer 
And Brita was able to get, I think at the time it was like over three yards per carry before being contacted, where Carlos Hyde was less than a yard. It was like around a half yard before he would get contacted. And a lot of that, when you're, when you're looking at, again, players on the same team, same line blocking for them, running the same scheme, uh, it, it's a lot of that has to do with how they set up runs and, and you know, the vision that they display. And, and it's not just because all of a sudden when Breedy gets in there, the offensive line turns into one of a to- the top units and then they're terrible when Hyde's behind the, um, you know, in, in the backfield. It's he's able to set up blocks a little bit better and, and find creases that allow him to get more positive yardage before he gets contact. I think that's something we've seen from him all year. So overall, things we think against the game, it, it or things we think about the game, it absolutely was a Christmas miracle. And boy, was it a hell of a Christmas present. I was jumping up and down and it was a ton of fun. Ultimately, we think that Kyle Shanahan's attacking game plan was the absolute right game plan to hit the middle of the field and not try and test those corners. Ultimately, Jimmy Garoppolo is still amazing, and he took advantage of all the opportunities that the play calls gave him, and the Jags couldn't. They just couldn't call the plays that beat the defense that they knew so well, and Blake Bortles was operating at a talent deficiency when it came to playing football. So let's get to the rundown, the midweek stories we think are important, or the midweek tidbits that we think are fun or that we want to highlight And let's get to the first one, and that's going to be a preseason draft crush update from none other than David, because he's the only other person in this room. (laughs) I mean, we just talked about Brita and and the great game that he had, but I think this was really uh, just a great game all around for a lot of guys that we liked out of this draft class, right? Akella Witherspoon obviously had the interception, um, had another very good game, 85.3 overall grade from him, which is one of his better ones on the season, and then clearly established himself uh, again, it continues to show that he's a starting caliber corner in this league. Uh, Kittle gets a touchdown, has a, a solid game, actually regains the top snap count among tight ends. You know, we've been talking about Selleck. Yeah, we uh, had this whole thing about like a Selleck, the new tight end one. And then yeah. like he's like, nah, bro. All of a sudden, me. Selleck in this one had the fewest snaps. Uh, you know, I, Paulson ha- out snapped him in this game. So that was strange. Um, His name you, is Logan Paulson. <laughs> you get the you get a Kittle touchdown. Trent Taylor continues to do good things. You know, produce on third down, had two more catches on third down. Uh, that converted one of them being the score. Um, and then, of course, Matt Breida. These were all, I think, of this draft class, right? Especially when you move beyond the first rounders, because I think it's easy to get excited about, you know, the number three overall pick at the time and, and somebody like Ruben Foster, who has is, is obviously been great. But, you know, uh, once you moved beyond that and started to look at some of the other guys in this class, I think these were the ones that we really kind of attached ourselves to. And, and I think they've now at this point, you know, shown that they're going to be contributors to this team, I think, going forward. And and this was a really, really great example of that in this game. Brock Coyle. Not terrible. Turns out he's not as bad as he was to start the year. I know. It's weird. It's real weird. He had some solid plays in the run game against the Jaguars. He slipped some blockers, made some tackles. He was not his... He's improved just about every game this year. And his grade against the Jaguars was 77.5. Not a world beater by any stretch. But considering that he was signed to be nothing but a depth player and really play special teams, he has improved quite a bit since his kind of opening games against, you know, really not as good of a rushing attack as he had against Jacksonville. He's able to do things like stack and shed with his inside foot so he doesn't get turned around. He's able to actually flow towards plays. He's gotten better. He's not great, but he's gotten better. And that's something that we just thought we should kind of point out because he gets a lot of flack for being white and being a linebacker. (laughs) 
Um, maybe the one thing that Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't made better uh, with his mere presence. Uh, I mean, he got Brock Coyle. He got the offense. Uh, special teams, you know, hasn't been quite as good, you know, over the kind of the last month of the season. Um, I think in, the, in this one, we saw the blocked, you know, extra point that that led to a two point conversion for the Jaguars. Um, and we've just been seeing kind of a lot of these special teams breakdowns lately. This one wasn't anything, you know, too terribly egregious. It wasn't like a missed block or some sort of missed assignment or anything like that. Had an overload on one side and, and just had kind of the edge man for the Jaguars there get a really great jump on the ball and able to get come around the edge and, and get the block there. But just, you know, something that we've been seeing a little bit more often gave up the the punt return touchdown, obviously, to the Bears and in what was the best special teams unit, I think, for for really most of the season has kind of shown some flaws in, in recent weeks here. I think it's time. I think it's time to have an official Jimmy Garoppolo name tournament because there are just too many nicknames for Jimmy Garoppolo. Ones I've read this week so far, Jimmy Garoppolo. we made mention of that on this show ourselves. Jimmy G-Spot, kind of egregious but understandable. Jimmy Montana, Jimmy GQ. There are just a lot of Jimmy nicknames, and I love nicknames. I really do. We've advanced a lot of sporting nicknames on this podcast but I think it's time to settle on one. So I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know whether it's going to be via the show or via Niners Nation or via Twitter or what. But we will have a nickname tournament. Give me, give me your number one seed right now. What's your one seed? Oh, man. I think Goat Rapolo. I love Goat Rapolo. But do you put the R in there? I've seen it with, with and without the R. Goat so, Apolo? Yeah. I, no, it's Goat Ropolo. Goat Ropolo? Mostly because there's a Ropolo's pizza here in Austin, Texas, and it just reminds <laughs> me of Ropolo's. Because Ropolo's pizza is what you get when you're drunk and on 6th Street, and it's a terrible, terrible time. True story. Uh, um, Kendrick Bourne. I feel like we have to pump the brakes a little bit with the Kendrick Bourne thing. Um, for whatever reason, he is a player that a lot of people have kind of become attached to. Um, I've heard some glowing way, far too glowing reports from some of the beat reporters. Um, there was a, th- a Reddit thread that was like comparing him to Jerry Rice. I think they uh, meant Sydney Rice. Hopefully it was Sydney Rice. That would be a little bit more appropriate, even still probably a little strong, uh, to be honest. But I think this is a guy that is, you have to be a little bit careful with, right? I think when you have an offensive coordinator or, you know, a head coach, but de facto offensive coordinator like Kyle Shanahan, who's able to, um, you know, create a lot of advantageous opportunities for these receivers. You know, you see a lot of guys that are able to run open in the middle of the field because of the play action stuff that they bring to the table, all these other things that really gives them some good opportunities to make plays. Um, and then you add in the fact that we're getting really, really good quarterback play recently. And we've seen how, Garoppolo has been able to kind of elevate the play of a lot of different receivers and a lot of different players on this offense. I think it's easy to fall into a trap that somebody like Kendrick Bourne might be a little bit better than he is. And, and I don't think we've really seen anything on an individual level there to get overly excited about. It's been a very small sample so far, only has 26 targets. There's only a few, you know, good plays mixed in there. And again, most of the big plays, most of the big gainers, I think you would really throw, you know, more to the scheme and more to, Shanahan's ability to create some wide voids for him to run through as opposed to him winning contested catches or doing something kind of outstanding on an individual level uh, to really make those plays. So I don't think we've seen enough there to to think that like he's going to be an answer for this receiver unit going forward. Who knows? You know, a lot of things can happen. We just don't have a large enough sample size right now. And I think 
that's kind of a train that we need to to throw some cold water on right now. Your weekly DVOA update. We're jumping up there like a fat dude hitting a vertical. We are going from 28th to 23rd overall in DVOA, of course, on the heels of beating the number one defense based on DVOA's ranking. Overall, now we've risen to 21st on offense, still 30th on defense, and 10th and on special teams. We, though, are 21st in weighted DVOA. Weighted DVOA, of course, giving more weight to more recent games, which is just about all you can ask for at this point. Final thing in the rundown, uh, which is something that we've kind of lost track of and I think stopped caring quite as much about, you know, in the last month, but is a draft pick update. Um, we did some very, very extensive research before the show. And by that, I mean, we spent, you know, maybe 10 minutes kind of half figuring out what these scenarios could be going into the last week. There's a lot of uh, scenarios involved and my brain couldn't handle Man, a lot we're, of it. We're not, we're not here to do that. There's, there's other people that can do that better than we can. Um, as best as we can tell right now, they, they appear to be sitting at eighth. Overall, uh, as we go into the final week, um, there are, however, three other teams that have five wins, so four total, including us, um, and then you have another three teams that have six wins. So right now, it seems like, uh, you know, obviously, there's a lot of different things and tiebreakers there that that are going to come into play, but our best estimate right now, even if they were to, you know, win this final game against the Rams, the the likely landing spot seems to be in that eight to ten range, I, I think, is where we go. Um, could be a little bit worse. It's weird to think that we could end up outside of the top 10 after, you know, we had the number two pick essentially just a, a month ago. Um, but I think if, if we can land in that area, you know, obviously all the positive things we've seen to close this season out, if we could land in that eight to 10 range, um, and I think still get another high impact player, that would be a, a pretty good scenario for us. All right. So let's get to the game preview versus the Rams. It is the final game of the year. We have no more games after this final countdown game against the Rams, a divisional game to close it out, Week 17. It's it's you mentioned it earlier, David. We've come a long way since the first Rams game, and that was like what week three, week four, week three, week three, and we've come a long way since the last time that we played the old Los Angeles Rams. The last time we played the Rams, Brian Hoyer was our quarterback. Who's that? I think I, he's a New England Patriot. I, I don't seem to recall. I still had this weird thing in my mind that he was like like middle tier quarterback. Remember that discussion? <laughs> yeah, I was. No, I okay. was. I was wrong. We'll have our moments. I was wrong. Uh, Pierre Garcon was still tearing everything up, in, including the Rams secondary. He that was still a thing. You've got Marquise Goodwin, still a deep threat. All he was was running deep routes and dropping passes. That's what he was. He was not as good as he is now. You've got Navarro Bowman. Remember that guy? He was still on our team, and he was lined up next to Ray Ray Armstrong. I don't remember him. I've already lost track of him. Yep. Eric Armstead was playing Leo because that's his natural position fit. No. We still had hope for Richard Robinson. I hope he got more cheeseburgers in New York because he needs, he needs to put some He'll weight on the He'll be able to find legs. some solid burgers in New York, yeah. right? And, and our best cornerback, Akella Witherspoon, wasn't even playing. It just wasn't even suiting up. Like this, this is, that was week three and now we are at week 17 where it just, it just feels like a whole different place. It's insane. Uh, I mean, it's, you look at not only just how the season's, you know, trajectory has changed, but the long term. you know, we've been talking about, we knew this was a rebuilding process and, you know, it was going to take, you know, we really look at, I think at year three, 
is is kind of the first year where we're going to start expecting things because it was this year was let's turn everything over right let's get rid of all the old crap and start getting some new guys in there and, and really get our first draft class in next, next year was year, find a quarterback, find the quarterback let that right? guy and develop see, and we, we wanted you know we were hoping draft pick high draft pick you're like talking like let's get baker mayfield in here or somebody like that and and then you're you're going through a year of seeing what that looks like right you're dealing with rookie quarterback issues that are going to be up and down and and you're wondering how that goes and you're like hoping that you found the right one and and now it's just like we've skipped ahead like five steps in the process by getting a quarterback that you feel comfortable with and that you feel confident in being your long-term guy and it's just now the problems that we go into this offseason seem far fewer i imagine this is what getting steroids feels like like you just like you're not you're just you're not very strong and then you just like put a needle in your butt and then you're like yeah home runs like cocaine yeah 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 let's so yeah let's go with you want to go you want to go do some cocaine <laughs> right now let's go with that or just a snow game i'm just like those snow games where it just looks like there's a bunch of cocaine on the field all right we we digress so against the rams though you know last game when we played the rams we actually held todd Gurley in check which yeah. seems to be impossible nowadays because Todd Gurley has basically cost me all of the fantasy things I love the most. And this week I didn't play Todd Gurley. He was in my lineup and I pulled him at the last minute for Z to get more value. Didn't work out. Didn't work out. Should have gone with Todd Gurley. <laughs> Should have gone with Todd Gurley. My wife just about locked up the overall points championship in our DraftKings League. Still bitter. Still bitter. So what the hell did the Niners do to try and slow down Todd Gurley? They they did a pretty good job versus the Rams when they faced them the, when they faced them the first time. The Rams ran the ball 21 times in the second half. They averaged just 1.7 yards per carry on 19 of those carries, but broke two of them for like 20 plus yards. So overall, it was very much keeping them in check with a couple of big gains. And the Niners' run defense, of course, has been playing very very well. This was their like fourth or fifth straight game holding an opponent over or under 100 yards total rushing which they haven't done since they were the monster run defense where they were like keeping teams out of the end zone and had a lot of rushing touchdown in like 20 games or whatever the hell that ended up being. But overall, this is a run defense that has been playing very, very well and has been boosted by the presence of Jimmy Garoppolo because now they're not down by two scores at the end of games with teams trying to just run the ball over and over and over and getting those volume stats. Right. They did a great job in uh, against Jacksonville. I mean, the most positive rushing plays that they had were largely Bortles scrambles. And then there was one play where he randomly decided to keep it on a, on his own read and, and got a pretty solid gain out of it. Those were their most positive plays rushing the ball, right? When they were handing the ball off to running backs, they largely didn't do a whole lot. And so I think... This is obviously a little bit more of a test. I mean, the Jaguars rushing attack had always been a little bit more about volume. You know, you had Fournette, of course, breaking uh, some big runs here and there, but it was more they were going to run the ball 30 plus times uh, and just try to wear you down over the course of a game, whereas the Rams have been a lot more efficient, right? Gurley's been uh, a much more efficient player, and so I think this presents a little bit of a different challenge. And you also have, you know, a more complete offense here. So you have other threats that you have to worry about, whereas with Jacksonville, you knew that that was going to be the thing you wanted to key on and you were going to be pretty happy to let Bortles throw the ball downfield if that's what they wanted to do because you knew that you could probably count on a few mistakes there. So it's going to be a little bit of a different thing. You have to respect the pass a little bit more in this so you can't maybe be uh, you know, as willing to throw extra guys in the box and, and, and really devote 
um, attention to, to stopping that run game. So I think that presents an interesting ta- challenge, but really him as a receiver as well as, is something that I think uh, is an area where he's equally dangerous right now. He has the number one receiving grade among running running backs by PFF. Um, I think this is an area I want to see Ruben Foster, right? Um, he hasn't had to, he's been very good in coverage, but it's been a lot of, you know, I think things you would expect him to be good at. It's, it's just short throws, you know, stuff into the flat where he's able to run downhill and kind of close on these guys and make a tackle right as they get it. Um, which is all, you know, good things. But I think this is again, a little bit of a different ball game here. Like Gurley can do a little bit more, uh, coming out of the backfield, a little bit more dangerous after he gets the ball in his hands. Um, so, with Eric Reed being the guy that predominantly takes on tight ends, Foster is the guy that gets a little bit more of the running backs. And, and I think um, this is an area where even though they're going to be in their zone coverage and all that, I want to see him, um, you know, kind of step up to the challenge and be able to take on that aspect and, and defend Gurley in the passing game. The problematic part of the Rams offense really is that they have one back in Todd Gurley that can both be a receiving threat and is their best runner. We saw against the Jaguars when they had to go in a pass mode. They took Fournette out. Yeah, It was a lot of TJ Yeldon, uh, and I think it, w- it, w- it was mostly TJ Yeldon because that guy can catch passes, right? And even had that sweep, that, which is one of their more effective runs of the game. And, and so overall, you, you could kind of tell what the Jaguars were trying to do or what they needed to do based on their back. When you've got the Rams, Todd Gurley's back there. He can run it. He can catch it. He had 100 yards receiving last week before he ever had like 70 yards rushing. And he still ended up with like 150 yards rushing on the day. I mean, yeah. it, it was I mean, he stupid. got 10 passes. Yeah. 10 for, it was like 10 for 158 and two touchdowns last it's week absurd. against the Titans. Yeah. So very much, I think, the Niners' defensive game plan has to key on stopping Todd Gurley. Because if they can do that, then they can force Jared Goff into making some throws. And, and Jared Goff can be stopped. Probably yeah. stopped more effectively than Todd Gurley can. He's slowed down a little bit, right? He was he was really really good early. Things have you know tapered off a little bit for him. I think as the season's gone on, he's still been good. He's still a you know better quality quarterback, I think, than than Blake Bortles is right now. So, so broken the shackles of Jeff Fisher. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so I think yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Obviously, we didn't have a lot of success stopping them uh, in, in the first go around as they put up forty one points. But as we mentioned, a lot has changed since then, and, and hopefully we're going to get a little bit better effort there. I think when you look at the other side of the ball, this is a, a defense that you want to see, again, Garoppolo take some shots downfield, I think. We had kind of a similar storyline going into the Week 3 game where Brian Hoyer had been really, really awful throwing the ball deep in the first two weeks. Um, I forget the exact numbers, but it was it was really bad. He had like a 7 passer rating or something like that, throwing the ball downfield. Um in the game against the Rams, he went 8 of 11 for 239 yards just on passes that went 20 yards or more in the air. So he was able to get a lot of big plays in that game, um, throwing the ball downfield. And I think we want to see, again, Jimmy do a little bit of that. And I think this is a game where with the J- Jaguars matchup and, and the game plan they had going in there, it made sense not to really take a lot of shot plays and, and kind of, you know, stay away from the deep part of their secondary and, and just uh, stick to throwing it underneath. This is a game where I don't think they have to be quite as worried about throwing the ball downfield. The Rams uh, have been a little bit more willing to give up some of those plays. And so I, I, I want to see a little bit more in the way of designed throws to get the ball downfield and see if they can take advantage of that secondary. Yeah, this is where Marquise Goodwin, I, I want him to hit his thousand yards. He is... Yeah. The, the Niners have a, an outside shot, outside shot, at having a 1,000-yard receiver, a 1,000-yard rusher, 
and 4,000 yards from their starting quarterback, which hasn't happened since, I believe, 2000. Like if we make them all one quarterback? If we make them all one quarterback, basically. <laughs> if, we, if we meld them all together. If we, if we basically take Brian Hoyer's, I don't know, experience. I was going to say bald head, but that doesn't do us anything. If we take his experience and we take uh, C.J. Beathard's ability to take a hit, and we, and we take toughness, and we take Jimmy Garoppolo's everything else at quarterback, then you've got a four thousand yard passer. The Niners haven't done that since two thousand, I believe, with Jeff Garcia, Terrell Owens, and Charlie Garner, which is a long, long time. And even a thousand yard receiver, like when was the last time we had a thousand yard receiver? Yeah. Did Crabtree get there? I think, I think Crabtree, Crabtree had like a thousand eight yards in twenty thirteen. I want to say twenty thirteen was, uh, or, or maybe he got there in twenty twelve because like twenty twelve was when Cap first took over. Yeah, him and Crabtree just went crazy over the second half of the season and put up some big numbers. So Vernon maybe Davis, I feel pushed that that because he always had like seven fifty yeah, eight hundred. I feel close. like he, he hit there too. But but I mean, even then, I mean, those Harbaugh offenses, right? Even if they're you know two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen were kind of the the peak of those offenses, they they were really more efficient. They didn't put up like prolific overall numbers, correct, right? Correct. So we were always the low yardage. We were like twenty second, twenty third in offense, but DVOA loved us, and we yeah. were like top ten, top twelve because we were very, very efficient. So overall, I really hope Marquise Goodwin gets his thousand yards. I don't, and and I think Carlos Hyde's about one hundred and fifty yards away from his thousand yard rush. Ooh. That doesn't seem likely. That's yeah. why I said they have an outside shot. And and the passer, of course, Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, his if you were to take his four games, the one that the, the, the four games he's played in, and project them over the course of a year, he would be projected to surpass five thousand yards passing, and never lose a game. Oh These are the God. projections we're talking about with Jimmy Garoppolo. Shanahan and Garoppolo is going to be so much fun. Next, it's going to be great. I cannot wait. It's going to be the, the problem though is that Aaron Donald. We're still facing the barrel of Aaron Donald's gun, yeah. and Aaron Donald is. The best defense, like the, probably the best defensive player in football. At yeah, I think point. I think full stop is yeah. is fair there. I mean, it's it's the weekly which interior player are we going against that's going to give us all sorts of problems, and, and Aaron Donald is the one that gives the most problems. And it's usually Lakin uh, Tomlinson or Zane Beatles that's going to give us the most problems on the interior of of the offensive line. Although Tomlinson hasn't had his his characteristically terrible game. Against the Jaguars. Yeah. Calais he was Campbell, actually a, he was a lot better in this last one. He was. And Calais um, Campbell, it helped that Calais Campbell was lined up either on the outside or yeah. over Fusco. And Fusco predictably had one of his worst games because, well, that's what happens when you face Calais Campbell. But this is going to be a game where Aaron, I mean, Aaron Donald's a, a player that has 91 total quarterback pressures this season. No other interior defender has more than 66. Is that a pretty good gap? That, I think that's you, a pretty solid you could, gap. That's basically like a whole defender and a half. That's the, the it's like a pretty good like that's like a really good role player. That's the best defender not named Aaron Donald on the interior in the NFL, plus another half human equals an Aaron Donald. It's insane. I don't think I, I didn't actually spend the time to go back and look at this, but I'm pretty sure I heard it recently enough that I that I feel okay saying it. I don't think there's been a defender, period, not even just an interior defender, but a defender to reach 100 total quarterback pressures in a season. Like, I don't even think J.J. Watt uh, at his absolute peak when he was doing defensive player of the year type stuff, I don't think he got to 100. Um, Nine pressures may seem like a lot. 
Donald is very much capable of getting nine pressures in a game, especially yeah. against some. I know he's gotten uh, it, like seven or eight in games against the 49ers previously in seasons. Like he's had some really high totals there. Um, it would take a, uh, I mean, obviously a very great game from him, even for his standards. Um, but I, I think it's like in reach. It's, it's, it's within distance. Yeah. yeah. Um, which would just be absolutely insane. I mean, he's, it's not even worth getting into like, oh, what could they try to do to stop him? I mean, there's there's just there's nothing there's nothing that they're going to be able to do. Yeah, um, like I was asking I was asking this question. and I was like, OK, what do you do against really, really good interior defensive linemen? OK, in the run game, maybe you try trap plays, maybe you're trying to wham them. Yeah, I've seen him beat those kinds of blocks all year. Like he's, you he's just. He's, he's unblockable. You, you double you team do. him at the point of attack. Okay, that depends a little bit on what kind of run you're calling. But even if you try and double team him with something like duo or something like that, he's still going to defeat double teams relatively well. Like It's not something that you do against Aaron Donald. So it's like, okay, shit. He's, he's just a freak. I mean, it's... Uh... It's kind of crazy. I mean, I, again, the hope, much like it was going into the Jacksonville game, um, is you just got to hope that Garoppolo is able to get rid of the ball before he gets there. I mean, I think he's going to get there. He's going to make plays. Um, even if he doesn't get a sack in this entire game, he is going to disrupt what they want to do offensively at times. And so it's just a manage or a matter of whether they can manage those instances and, and still be able to make enough plays around them. But, you know, he's going to get his and, and you just kind of have to accept it. All right. So quick rapid fire before we get to the prediction. If we win against the Rams and end the year undefeated under Garoppolo, which of the wins would be most impressive? The win against the Jacksonville Jaguars, number one pass defense in the NFL, or the win against the NFC West division champion and playoff bound Los Angeles Rams. That's really tough. I think the Rams are a more complete team, but I, I think the Jaguars would be a little bit more impressive to me just because of how good that pass defense was and, and just the extent to which they were able to make it not look that way. Which is more likely 150 yards for Carlos Hyde or nine pressures for Aaron Donald? Nine pressures for Aaron Donald. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was an easy. One. I'll side on the Aaron Donald yeah. uh, side of things every time. I'll go with Aaron Donald <laughs> over over the, the thing. Uh, and then we get to the prediction. What do you think is actually going to happen? Because the Rams are only favored by three and a half, and of course this game is on the road for the Niners, which means that the the, the home team gets three points. This is basically an even game. This the, the Vegas is predicting an even game with the best team based on DVOA in the NFL so far, the division-winning LA Rams, the team with the best running back in football, the team with the best offense in football, and the team with Wade Phillips as its defensive coordinator. Like, this is a push right now in Vegas. The Jimmy Garoppolo era is fucking insane. It's, 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 up, it's crazy. I don't even know what to do. Um, so I think we can, we can count on a much better plan from the Rams offense than, than what we saw last week with the Jaguars, right? Sean McVay, as much, uh, as we love Kyle Shanahan and, and all the great things that he's going to do there. Sean, Sean McVay, McVay is coach of the year is, yeah, I mean, he's going to get coach of the year. He, uh, is, is putting that Rams offense, um, in just a good, as good a position, right? I think it's, it's going to be fun to watch this game for me too, because I think we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but it's just, it, it's going to be fun to to watch this matchup as like a precursor to what we hope are a lot of good matchups between 
these two coaches and these two quarterbacks, right? Like this I, is the rivalry that Seattle Niners should have been for like five, six, seven, eight years. Yeah, and and it's more and it's a more fun rivalry, at least for me personally. Like, uh, you know, it, it's not it's not a, a lot of football people fuel, are, are yeah. like, yeah, like you know, def- defensive football, good football, blah blah. blah. I still like I still like offensive football more. I, I like to see good offenses play. I like to see good quarterback play. And so, you know, this would be you're expecting this to be a different type of rivalry, right? And I, I think it would be one personally for for my taste and what I enjoy, you know, watching watching football for uh, would would be a little bit more to my liking. But um, I don't know, man. It, it's going to be tough. I, I think it's going to be harder for them to slow down this offense. And, and that's going to be the thing is you, you can't really rely on, even if Goff hasn't been, you know, going on a rampage, I don't think you can rely on him to make the same sort of mistakes that you got from Bortles, right. To, to kind of bail you out and not hit some of the open guys that they had. Goff has one of the best passer ratings in the league when he's kept clean. So they can't get after him and they, they let, you know, that offense kind of stay on schedule. It's going to be tough. Um, now the Niners had a pretty good pressure rate last time they faced the, the Rams. This was this was one of the games where we definitely got after Goff. This was the beginning of our pressure effects game series, which was yeah. one of the first things that we talked about in terms of a theme this year. So they can generate pressure against this Rams offense. It's not something that's unheard of. I think I got. I mean, at this point, why the hell not? I think that's I what I'm talking go, about, David. I got to go for Niners. Fucking let it ride. Uh, let it ride. Why not? It's the last game of the season. It's the last game of the season. Again, what do we have to lose? We've won four in a row. This is just uh, the, the only thing we have to lose is being wrong. And what, who the fuck cares? <laughs> Come on, man. This is the end. This is the uh, glory. Go undefeated. Beat dude. the division winners. I, I think uh, Kevin Clark on the Ringer podcast said it best when he's like, "You know what? Can we just give the Niners a playoff spot?" Just give them an at-large bid. Oh, they're better than some of the AFC teams right we, now. We, so, okay, hot take from Bill Simmons. The Niners are the third best team in the AFC. <laughs> I, think he may, I think he might love Jimmy Garoppolo even a little bit more than we do, which yeah. is... Uh, which, of course, the Boston uh, connection, but whatever. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd go that far, but... Um, it's, it's obviously, I mean, they're one of the hottest teams in the league right now. Um, you know, playing very well offensively. I think they've had some things really break their way on the defensive side of the ball. They're not being put in as terrible of situations because they have an offense that can keep pace and, and even lead a little bit, right? We, we went like the first 10 weeks with barely leading in the game at all. Um, and and so I think this is a defense that, uh, is in better situations is playing well in terms of defending the run. They still have a lot of work to do, but I, I think they can do enough. I don't know. Uh, I, I think just with what I, I didn't expect in a million years that they would have a chance uh, to not only really win, but to to move the ball that well against Jacksonville. And so I think yeah, it's hard not to feel confident in this offense and, and feel like they're going to be able to get theirs. Um, and it's just a matter of whether they can make enough plays defensively um, to, to be able to kind of swing that gap. So I think that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. This has been, so far, it's going to be our swan song. It's going to be amazing. I think I will be at Parlor and Yard in Austin watching the game. If you're in Austin or in the Austin area and you want to come out to Parlor and Yard and say hello, absolutely. No pressure at all whatsoever. I'll probably just be drinking beers and having a good time getting ready for New Year's Eve because why not? It's the last game of the year. Go out on top. Let's do this. Uh, But outside of that, uh, thanks again for tuning in. We are going to keep chugging along during the playoffs. We're still going to have a show every week. It's just going to go into more off-season mode. So everyone who's been tweeting us about, hey, who do you guys want in the draft? Hey, 
Who do you guys think we should pick up in the offseason in free agency? Hey, all the things we don't have time to look at because we're too busy breaking down the games we're currently playing. <laughs> all of those questions will be answered when we get to the playoffs and we have time to not look at Niner games, but look at everything else. Yeah, we're going to start getting there. Start kind of laying the foundation. I think we'll, we'll you know do a little looking back first. It's always nice to kind of see... Uh, compared to what expectations were going into the season and, and see, you know, how the rookie class is done over the course of a full year because, you know, it's a little different looking back at that stuff over a full 16-game slate uh, than it is looking at just kind of game by game and measuring those individual performances. So we'll do a little bit of that looking back and then, yeah, start turning attention uh, to all the offseason stuff, all the, the stuff that should be a lot more fun now that we're entering that offseason without a question mark at quarterback. Absolutely. So thanks again for tuning in. If you liked what you're hearing, uh, definitely leave us a review on the old Google Play Store or on iTunes. It helps other people find the show, and it helps us get featured on all of the, hey, this podcast is cool, uh, things that you'll see. Those are the official terms from iTunes and Google Play, by the way. And you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? It's going to be at Newman NFL. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks again for riding the Jimmy Goat Garoppolo wave. We will indeed have something about the the nickname tournament very, very soon. And as always, go Niners. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.